Hi, welcome to Spilling the Tea. I'm Devana, founder of Witches Tea Flint, and thank you for joining me. We're talking about a special tea that you're probably well acquainted but didn't even realize. I use this tea for our full moon inspired blend. We have an herbal variety, which is the full moon, and then the leaded variety, as most coffee drinkers would call it. I call the caffeinated blend, it's a witch thing. Since we love our full moons, and in honor of the recent full moon, we are talking about our blended salon tea from Sri Lanka. And our herbal blend called Full Moon. Salon tea is found in most supermarket black teas. It is relatively new in the tea scene though, but it's not the youngest. Remember when I said that we would spill the tea on some tea scandals? Here is one of many. Salon was created in Sri Lanka during the Opium Wars, which was a trade issue between Great Britain and China. So let's unpack this a bit. Around the 1670s, the Dutch, yes, wooden shoes, tulip, legal everything country. The Dutch were the head honchos in the tea trading industry. And that caught the eye of the Brits and Parliament and the royal family. And all of a sudden, this is like, we got to go big or go home. But they weren't about to go home. Let's just make that point clear. The British were having issues with supply and demand. You know, people were drinking tea a lot faster than what they could actually bring it into the country, which caused a huge problem. And there were tea shortages that were going on. The Brits had two things going for them at that time, cotton and silver. And cotton and silver were what they had to trade. Some places that was great, but what they really needed was tea and what China wasn't taking was cotton. The Chinese didn't need cotton because silk, but silver, silver was a whole nother thing for them. They didn't have the ability ability to melt down the metal to make silver. They didn't have anything like silver. So when silver came on the scene in China, it was all of a sudden, Whoa! they were able to make jewelry and silver teapots. If you've seen the silver teapots from this era in China, they're absolutely beautiful. And what was great about these silver teapots over the clay ones that they were using is they heated the tea a little more evenly. They kept the tea a little bit hotter. They didn't have the tendency to break and crack. So so silver was definitely it. The Brits were running out of silver at that time, so they needed to find a solution. They schemed and started growing opium inside China. So how did this happen? Well, some Brits were given parts of China to settle, kind of like an embassy of sorts. So they were given a home, and instead of treating it with respect, what did they decide to do? They were growing opium and getting people addicted with the opium. So what happens when, you know, you need drugs? You find ways to get money. So they were finding ways to get silver, to give the silver to the Chinese, so the Chinese would give them tea, and they would just sell more opium and to keep the circle going. Drugs really weren't a thing at that point. I mean, they had kind of their own thing that they needed to worry about. So, Great Britain, great job there, bringing drugs into China. Round of applause, please. You wouldn't think tea would cause people to go batshit crazy like that, but it actually did. So, naturally, this, of course, caused a whole lot of issues. I mean, not only are you bringing drugs into a place that had no drugs and is a sacred place, you're basically violating the hospitality of the Chinese at this point. Enter the First Opium War, which was around 1839 to 1842. The British and the Chinese 
Chinese got into squirmish over the sale and trade of opium. Today we kind of call it the war on drugs, which is a fancy term for who gets the money from the drug trade. Guess who won? Well, it wasn't China. You see, the British were illegally exporting opium and got caught in 1839. The Chinese government seized and destroyed the ships, which were like 1,400 tons of opium, roughly like 20,000 chests at that point. During the confiscation, British soldiers killed members of the royal family. Not like the way, way up their royal family, but they were still people that were, it's like, hey, that's my cousin. And you know what happens there? You all of a sudden want justice. Well, the British weren't handing over the soldiers that killed the royal family definitely caused a few more issues. They were asked to leave peacefully since, you know, it's like, look, fine, just get out. Don't ever come back. Don't ever look at China. Don't speak China. Don't talk China. Don't float by in your boats and wave. Don't do a parade by us. Don't send people over here. Just don't. And that's a pretty good deal considering you murdered members of the family because you couldn't grow drugs in a country that was showing you hospitality. I mean, I've seen a lot worse things happen between countries that have issues like this. So instead of leaving peacefully, enter the second part of the Opium War. When the Brits were leaving town, they saw this dam that was a blockade by the Pearl River. The Pearl River and this dam is what protected Hong Kong. They thought, ooh, let's have some fun. And they destroyed the dam and it flooded parts of Hong Kong. The British ended up claiming the parts of the non-flooded regions for themselves and somehow set up camp there and held and captured Nanjing. Soon after the Treaty of Nanjing was signed, but with the caveat that the Chinese have to pay the British for the damage that the British caused. And they also lost control over Hong Kong in 1842. With all the unrest that we saw happening in Hong Kong this year, a lot of that goes back to what happened with this Treaty of Nanjing. Everything has this weird butterfly effect. Here we are, 1850s, incoming. Second opium war is on the horizon. This time the Brits are starting it all over again with the Chinese with the Taiping Rebellion. This was also known as the Arrow War because the ship, the Arrow, was docked in Canton. You know, the Cantonese area wasn't supposed to be there. Chinese knew it wasn't supposed to be there. British knew it wasn't supposed to be there. So Chinese do some like Pirates of the Caribbean kind of stuff. I mean, they go, they capture the flag, raise their own flag. It's like, Haha, we got the ship. And so their balance shifts. Not only did they do that, but they also torched a warehouse that Brits were using to smuggle goods in and out of China. It got a little funky. And then all of a sudden, here comes the French coming in to help the British. Kind of still scratching my head at that one too. Fast forward, so now the Brits and the French have gained some commercial powers in China. New treaties were signed, which gave away even more of China's power and toppled the Qing sovereignty. And that also helped create the Republic of China that we have today. So like I said, if you ever kind of sat and wondered why China is mad at the world, all you have to do is look back at some of the stuff that was going on. Just to give us some further tea for spilling the tea here, in comes James Taylor. No, not that James Taylor. This James Taylor was a Scottish explorer and a botanist, and he found a way to bring, which is a clever way of saying stolen tea trees and plants and seeds because these things are protected in China and they're not supposed to leave. Kind of like Glass Beach in Fort Bragg, California. You can sit there and you can play with the glass on the beach, but you put it in your pockets and you're probably going to have a problem. China wasn't able to protect their tea as well as what they do over at Fort Bragg in the glass. 
So he ended up not only taking seeds, but he uprooted trees, put them on ships, and then basically just sailed away over to Sri Lanka, which at this point was called Ceylon. He ended up settling in the Kandy province. You just think about what people were willing to do for tea. This is all about a little plant. There's no alcohol in it, but it caused people to go absolutely mad for tea. So, I mean, people don't understand that a lot of the world's problems happened because of tea. Not tobacco. I mean, tobacco, of course, eventually ended up causing a whole lot of issues, but most of these early problems were because of tea. Who knew a little drink that has so much medicinal properties could cause so much trauma? Back to this guy, James Taylor. If you were to look at a map, he came through the South China Sea, bypassed the Gulf of Thailand, in through a little channel in between Malaysia and Indonesia, through the Bay of Bengal, and settled in Sri Lanka. Began to cultivate the tea there, and then three years later, which is somewhat decent of a bumper crop, I mean, it takes about three to five years for a tea tree to mature and harvest to where you can get, you know, enough tea for a couple of cups. He's got a semi-decent harvest going on here. Because he was such a gifted botanist, and a scientist, he was able to germinate the seeds and the seeds were able to continue to produce and reproduce and reproduce more. Because of what he did, he's actually brought in a lot of money to Sri Lanka. The upside of all of this, Sri Lanka joins the ranks as one of the highest producers of tea in the world. And this also kind of started the beginnings of fair trade, although it really didn't catch a whole lot of real steam until like maybe the 90s or so. You see, fair trade on things like coffee and clothing, and all of those things, it means that places that are producing them gets a fair wage and they're able to live comfortably. Otherwise, that's called slavery. And there'll still be some idiots out there who move their product elsewhere because paying a living wage seems like a foreign concept, but the karmic stain is still there. Flip side though, Sri Lanka figured out that they were a pawn in all of this and kicked the British out in 1971. Still took almost a hundred years to get them out, but that also started Sri Lanka as a a democratic socialist country. And they set up their own international tea board in 1978, which actually helps govern a lot of the ways that the tea is cared for throughout the world. They did have to give up a port to China a few years back, but that's a story for another day. Ceylon tea refers to any tea that is grown in Sri Lanka. And depending on how it's processed, you could get a white, yellow, green, but black tea is the most common. They produce about seven different kinds of tea in Sri Lanka. They all have kind of a citrusy profile, commonly seen in some of Lipton's orange pekoe varieties. Ceylon is protected in Sri Lanka, and there are specific protected designated regions that grow tea. They also claim that the tea grows in areas that's haunted by demons and spirits, and it's also plagued by wild beasts and venomous snakes and some pretty treacherous, you know, trekking conditions. Growing tea isn't for the faint of heart, y'all. <laughs> I mean, like, seriously. Another fun fact about Ceylon is they are also one of the largest producers and growers of cinnamon in the world. It's not the kind of cinnamon that you're probably accustomed to. This is the kind that you're going to 
gonna find in the fun sections of the grocery stores that have like the really good spices. You know, if you're near the horchata, you're probably in the right spot. It's actually one of the most health conscious cinnamons in the world and has a ton of health benefits. And if you're looking for it, if you're in the salt and pepper section, you're probably in the wrong spot. Now, Ceylon tea is pretty high in caffeine. It's not the most highly caffeinated, but it can range anywhere from 14 to 61 milligrams of caffeine per six ounce cup, depending on how you make it and how you brew it. It's a little less than a Assam or an oolong, but it's still up there. And if you are caffeine sensitive, you may want to skip this one. But like, say you make it in one of those like pod sort of coffee pots, do a run and then add a lot of water to it. You probably are going to, you're going to get a really weak tea out of that. I mean, just that's a given. You're going to have a really weak tea, but you'll end up lowering the caffeine quotient at that point, And that's kind of the goal. Ceylon is packed with polyphenols, which is good for gut health. And there's tons of prebiotics. So what's the difference between a prebiotic and a probiotic? Prebiotics are things that are found in plants and probiotics. Well, those are like yogurt and like active microbial cultures. So that's the big difference there. Good gut health is one of our keys that we need for like a healthy immune system, healthy circulatory system, healthy heart. We want to really stick with teas that have these qualities. Good gut health actually also helps you metabolize B12. And if you're a pernicious anemia like I am, which is like an issue with producing and keeping the B12 in your system, then this is one that can actually help. Because most of the time with a pernicious anemia, one of the things you're going to notice is that you can take B12 all day long, but you're going to pee it out shortly after you take it. So you end up having to take it throughout the day or get shots. By improving your gut health, you're going to improve the body ability to store B12, which means some of the depression and things like that that you deal with may start to get a little bit better. This also helps you lose weight. So a lot of different benefits with the Salon tea. It's great for weight loss. Its fat absorption rate is huge and it helps speed up your metabolism. It also helps stabilize blood sugar. So make sure that if you are going to go for the Salon tea that you're not adding a whole lot of extra sugar to it, it's best if you're drinking it black. And if you're going to sweeten it, sweeten it with a little bit of honey, maybe sweeten it with some natural fruits that aren't sugarified. You can also add some stevia, which wouldn't be too terrible. When I started looking at what tea bases pair best with my herbal blends, I sat with each of them, learned about their magical and medicinal properties, and tried to feel their energy. So when I came across Ceylon, I researched the history of Sri Lanka and their people being able to expel the negative forces, which is the Brits and James Taylor and those people out of their country, and form a better structure for themselves. That seemed very full moon to me. Because you think about what the full moon is, we're casting out what no longer serves us to bring in the good energy and to let that build up into the new moon. So this just felt very much like a full moon kind of tea. That was a very witchy kind of a tea. The idea of the beasties and the ghosties in Sri Lanka, that just seemed like all this like witchy stuff wrapped into one little tea. It was perfect. I couldn't have asked for better. This tea ended up being a wonderful partner to the full moon blend. And when you put them both together, you have what we like to call, it's a witch thing. So the full moon blend has yarrow, rose petals, hyssop, lotus, and jasmine. 
Yarrow is great when you're needing a little bit of bravery. It's also great for love and protection workings. It's great for exercising negative energies. Not that kind of exercising. Medicinally, yarrow is considered the warrior plant. You can boil it and use it as a tea when you're sick, so it helps to ward off norovirus and get rid of all of those little buggies that you get in your body. It can stop diarrhea and helps you sweat out the flu, and it purifies the blood. So it's great for purification. It just does so many wonderful things. Yarrow is a great little herb to keep around. Now, hyssop is also a favorite for its purification properties. And what do we like to do on full moons? Well, we like to set out our stuff to be cleansed in the moonlight. Hyssop is a good one for cleansing. It's also mentioned in quite a few psalms for purification and is used in a lot of cut and clear hoodoo formulas. Hyssop is also good at getting rid of congestion and helps you cough up the crud. Roses are in a lot of my teas. I use roses as a base in a lot of my herbal teas. And that's just because roses have always been a thing for me. It's just weird for me to have a tea with no rose petals, but it does happen. Roses, of course, are good for love and romance, but they also have that self-love property in them. And we all need that reminder to be gentle with ourselves. Roses are also good for helping you break bad habits. Full moon energy is a really good time when you're, you know, wanting to get rid of a bad habit so that you can make room for something else in your life. Again, another complete and total beautiful full moon energy there. Roses are also great for attracting what you want, but they also have that thorny part where it's getting rid of the things that you don't want. And rose can make you bleed, but sometimes you need to let some of that out. Lotus. Lotus is also in the full moon blend. And lotus reminds us that even in the darkness, we can find light and grow. The lotus will grow in mud and cakey, really, really thick stuff that doesn't seem like anything could possibly pop through it. Next thing you know, you have this beautiful lotus. And then jasmine can't go wrong with jasmine. Jasmine's actually considered a full moon herb. Jasmine is for luck and for love and has tons of lunar energy properties. This combination here is a powerhouse by itself with just the herbs. Then you're adding in the salon and it's like, whoo, we got ourselves a witch party here. It's definitely a powerhouse. Both the herbal and the salon are available on our website at witchesteaflint.com. If you are local, we can definitely work out a handoff somewhere socially distance safe since you know peopling right now is hey we're in a pandemic and you know i'm immunocompromised so we all want to just be careful and be conscientious of each other i do appreciate you for joining me and spilling the tea this week next week we're going to dive into what in the world is orange pico and later we're going to talk about tea grades sharing tea with your pets why you should be microwaving your tea there's so much to talk about we've got enough to cover about three years worth of material <laughs> oh it's been so much fun diving into all of this with you and I really appreciate you joining me along for the ride. I just want to send a shout out and a thank you to my kid because whenever I make a tea, she's usually the first person. I'm like, hey, or try this. Tell me it's not terrible. And usually she tries it and she will let me know if it's terrible. And I've had to fix quite a few because it's like, Ooh, She's probably one of my biggest cheerleaders and I'm definitely her biggest fan. So thank you so much to my beautiful daughter who is always there and willing to try new things and explore all of this with me. She's 
just an amazing kid. I also want to say a hello and thank you to my friend Sarah. Sarah has a really cool shop in Ludington if you're ever up that way in northern Michigan. It's called Four Directions Alchemy. Very, very cool place. You can also find her website, fourdirectionsalchemy.com. Have yourself a great night. Stay safe, stay healthy, make good choices, take care of each other, and we'll talk to you again soon.